0: Hello, hello, and welcome to my tennis journey. As you're listening today, it would be amazing if you could hit subscribe or follow, if you haven't already. I'm really excited to chat today to a guest who has had an amazing tennis journey. A journey which began in the USA, but which today is truly international, as today's guest is the president of the International Tennis Federation. Welcome to the show, Dave Haggerty.
1: Thanks, Rob. Great to be here.
0: Thanks so much for, for taking the time to have a chat. Um, I was reading your, your resume, and boy, oh boy, do we have a lot of tennis-related adventures to cover. But, but first of all, how did your tennis journey as
1: a child begin? Well, it's, it's a funny story. So my father uh, was a school teacher, but uh, during the summers, he would be the director of tennis for the city of Trenton in, in New Jersey and in, in the United States, kind of in the Northeast. And um, so he uh, decided that uh, my brother, who's seven years older than me, uh, so who was uh, 12 at the time, was going to take up tennis. So every morning we would get in the uh, in the car. We'd drive uh, 20 minutes or so to uh, the tennis uh, facility, which has a 27-court um uh, clay and, and hard court facility. So I was really, really lucky to be in that environment. And every day my brother was uh, out with my dad uh, hitting. So after about five days, I'm sitting in this little shop with the guy and I say, you work for my dad, right? And I'm only five years old. You work for my dad. He said, yeah, I work for your dad. I said, okay, well, good. I want you to take me out and play tennis.
0: <laughs> and he
1: said, okay. Uh, you'll have to use this racket because I don't have one uh, your size so he took me out Uh, we hit for probably a a half hour it seemed like hours to me at that point in time and I came back in my father didn't say anything next day my brother goes out to play with my dad Um, same thing Uh, Bill takes me out and uh, hits On on the third day my father said what do you think you're doing and I said I'm playing tennis of course what do you think I'm doing and he said, well, are you committed to playing tennis? Is it something that you're willing to put your your mind and your heart to? You've got to practice. It's, that's not a, a silly game. And I said, yeah, I'm committed. So from that day forward, I would hit one hour with my father after he would hit with my brother, and uh, I uh, started playing tennis tournaments. And I've got a, got a book here, the USLTA, the United States Lawn Tennis Association, 1966 so at this point I'm it's got Billie Jean King on the cover because I'm going to get Billie to sign it when I see her in in Prague in in about 12 days or so and uh so from age six I was ranked in uh, in middle stage was one of the 17 sections of the USTA and that became my my dream and uh you know I've been very fortunate that tennis is my life and uh, other sports as well along the way but uh a I, I bratty young five-year-old that said, yeah, I'm going to play. Do you know what I love about this,
0: Dave? You know, I have lessons with four and five-year-olds, but it's very much the parent who is arranging the lessons. How many five-year-olds arrange their first tennis lessons themselves? It can't be too many.
1: Well, probably not. But you have to remember, I'm sitting in a, in a small little, um, you know, uh, clubhouse, so to speak. It's not even a clubhouse. Uh, it's probably 10, 10 feet by ten feet, so it's it's a small, relatively small place. With somebody who's an adult, and I'm the only kid in there, that's not much fun. So outside <laughs> playing tennis is a lot more fun. Than that. So it was an easy decision.
0: I think it showed, uh, and I know we'll come on to it, uh, that you had a real skill for organizing in the tennis world at a very early age. <laughs> 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 Come on, so I mean, you you went on, and I know you were playing a lot of tournaments, and you you were playing from such a young age. What what were your highlights of your junior career?
1: You know, for me, um, being able to go and play our national championships. You know, we have the the boys uh, singles in Kalamazoo, the, the championships that I was able to play. I think um, four years uh, in in my career, played in the Orange Bowl in in Florida, so some international competition. Um, you know was sexually ranked nationally ranked probably the biggest thing I remember is uh, being a a ninth grader you know so in in the United States we have uh, four grades for high school and I I came out and uh, I had gone to a different school system before a private school now I'm in a public school and uh, we have a very good tennis team I made the tennis team I as a Uh, Freshman, my first year, I was the number one player for all four years. Probably the highlight was we were state champions um, for three of the the four years. Um, We always won our conference. And in, in four years, I lost five matches. Uh, All to the same player who I finally beat before he graduated. <laughs> so that was, it. And then on to university, uh, you know, George Washington University on a tennis scholarship. So a dream for me because my parents were both educators, both teachers. My father, as I said, director of tennis during the summer. So, you know, it was a gift uh, being able to get a, a college education that that our family really couldn't afford um, was was a dream.
0: Isn't that amazing that uh, you know that, that you managed to get the scholarship to, to George Washington University? How did you come to decide to go to George Washington?
1: Yep. So, so for me, it was uh, quite quite interesting to. I, I had about uh, oh, 10 or 11 scholarship opportunities to different schools. And what I really, when I went to make the decision, both parents being educators, you can understand how this could be. Um, education led. So they they wanted me to pick a good school. And I did too, because I knew that uh, I loved tennis and I was a good player, but I knew I wasn't going to be the number one player in the world at that point in time. Um, so I wanted to get a good education, but I, I went to a number of different schools. It was funny. One school I went to uh, and uh, I, uh, at that point in time, you could try out and, you know, the coach would be there and he'd give you feedback. And I had a lot of good experiences of coaches, you know, recruiting me, wanting me to come. In this particular case, it was a school that coach said uh, afterwards, he said, you know, you're, you're a nice player, but you're not going to fit in here. You're not going to make our team. So it was an outstanding experience about three years later uh, when we played that team. Yes. And I, I played the number one ranked player of, of their team who had been nationally ranked number six in the world, or six in the United States, rather. And I ended up winning the match. And that same brat at five was a brat probably around age 19 or 20. When I walked <laughs> off the court and said, You're right, I wouldn't have fit in here. Thank <laughs> you. And I uh, went on, we uh, won my singles in my doubles match. We lost 7-2 to the team, but uh, I, I claimed two points. So that was kind of a, a great experience.
0: Just just on that point, Dave, how did the coach react? Did he remember you? Did he, you know, did he have a little eye smile?
1: He reacted very nicely. He smiled and said, yep, you know, we're not always right. <laughs> and I Love said, it. well, you know, it was a great experience to play against your school. So... It ended in a in a nice way. Brilliant, brilliant, love that.
0: And uh, do you have any your lasting memories of George Washington University? Yeah, well,
1: well, probably my memory of of George Washington University is a uh, uh, is actually uh, I still hold the record for the number of wins for singles and doubles. And I graduated in nineteen seventy nine, so two hundred and fifty years ago, uh, and, and the record <laughs> still, still stands. Uh, and and I can tell you it was only for one reason. I had great doubles partners yeah. because it's all about picking your partners. And my my doubles record was very, very good. But it was because I had very, very good partners that I was able to play with.
0: Well, that's uh, it's very modest. Um, but you know, I mean, I know you said earlier on that you realized you weren't going to be world number one. Um, but you did go on and turn professional.
1: How, how was that? You know, I had the dream. I, I oh, from age six, I wanted to be a professional. You know, and I look back on some of the things uh, over the holidays with the kids last year uh, when I found this book that I just showed you. But you know, there were you know notes in there, and you know, when you go to school and you're in third grade, you write down you know what do you want to be when you grow up, and you know, tennis professional. That's what I wanted to be. So. I, you know, I, I, lived the dream. I was able to, um, you know, to turn pro I went to, to Europe for, I call the short circuit because it didn't last very long. Uh, you know, but I played some, some tournaments, uh, throughout Europe and I'll never forget, uh, walking off the court at 2.00 AM in, uh, in Amsterdam, uh, in a doubles match that we had lost. Uh, and I just looked at my partner and I said, you know, I'm playing the best tennis I've ever played, but, I just know I don't have the, the talent that I want. Uh, I made a call that evening. Uh, well, that you know, it's two in the morning, I guess uh, three in the morning. I called home, to talked to my parents uh, and said, look, you know, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, coming home in the next, uh, next couple of weeks. Uh, the next day I, I called home again and a neighbor or a friend was there uh, who owned a tennis club. And he offered me the job as the director of tennis uh, for an indoor outdoor tennis facility I'd already been working with my father who was a tennis pro as you know and um, so I took that job and and uh, that was uh, you know I that was the dream I, I was the tennis pro and now I was a teaching tennis professional in uh, in Princeton New Jersey
0: amazing I mean what I love is I, and I love it Dave because you know my children now they talk about being tennis professionals. I had that dream of being a tennis professional. You made that dream happen. But what I I really love about the story is that really it's only the beginning of your tennis journey. Is that, because the next step was that new doors opened within the tennis world, the world of coaching. But then how did you end up working at Prince?
1: Yeah, well... It's all tennis related. So I'm, I'm the director of tennis at this club in, in Princeton, New Jersey. And uh, so one of the things I instituted was um, an early morning program called the Early Bird Program. And uh, we would start at um, 6.30 in the morning and it was for businessmen and women uh, that wanted to come in and play. So between 6.30 and 8.30, two hours of play. And I would go out and hit with uh, a lot of the different players. And uh, when, I, when I went to uh, play professionally, uh, being in that Princeton area uh, before I went to Europe, I uh, had done some testing for a, a new tennis company that had started by the name of Prince. And uh, so when I went and played professionally in, in Europe, I, I was playing with a Prince racket. And I came back and I had some friends at Prince and I met the new president of Prince Tennis Company and he wanted to play tennis. So I started teaching him tennis. And then uh, I, he had a, a large family. He wanted his, uh, his whole family to learn. They had a tennis court at their home. So I, I went and, and taught his family um, you know, a couple hours a week. And uh, one morning we walk off the court uh, and he says, and this was um, in the indoor facility uh, in, in the early bird program. And he said, you know, Dave, if you ever get tired of teaching tennis, give me a call. <laughs> so I waited until noon. And, uh, and I called my friend prince, uh, who, who worked for, for Jack, the president. And I said, Jim, you know, this morning I, I was, you know, hitting with Jack. And he said, if I ever get tired of this, give him a call that he has some ideas of what I could do at Prince. Like, what does he mean? And Jim laughed and said, uh, hold on for a second. He went into the office next to him where Jack was and he came back two, three minutes later. And he said, let's have lunch on Friday, you, Jack, and I, and, and we'll we'll talk about it. So one thing led to another and they offered me a position of uh, national manager of uh, product testing. They created a, a new position and uh, because I had tested the the um, Prince Rackets when I was playing professionally, which ended up being the Prince Pro Racket. Um, you know, that was my my first job. So, you know, a tennis connection I never could have thought about. I was so fortunate to be at the right, right place at the right time.
0: I just love this though, because it's that, the buzz of making something happen. It was with you when you were five. It was with you when you did the early bird. It was with you when the opportunity arose to get involved with this fledgling company and you waited, what, two and a half? I bet you couldn't wait to get off court to make that call, could you?
1: Exactly. Well, first I had to understand what he meant. You know, I'm saying, well, what <laughs> does he mean? You know, what would this be? And my parents, you know, both being educators and my father being a, a tennis professional, I, you'll, you'll appreciate this. His concern and my mother's concern was, why are you giving up a career as a tennis professional, as a teacher and a coach? to go take a risk with this company that's just starting that who knows if they're going to make it or not. So, you know, the, the educators come out again. Luckily I I took the risk and and Prince did quite well. I was able to uh, become one of the investors and the founders. And we ended up purchasing the company um, uh, in a leverage buyout and then selling to the, the Benetton family you know, 1990 and stayed on at Prince until 1993. So I just went through such a, um, you know, the company was growing so quickly. You threw people at, new. At, I had so many different roles in, in 12 years. I think I had like 14 different roles because the company was growing and I was there. I don't think it was about talent. I think it was about availability. And uh, one thing led to another and then very fortunate.
0: I mean, I bet when you were starting out, you had about, 14 different roles a day because when it's in that fledgling state and you you know you're creating something you're doing everything
1: you have to you have to
0: amazing and i mean it wasn't just prince you know following that incredible journey with prince you you headed up slazenger dunlop in the us you then became chairman of head i mean there can't be many people with more experience of of those sort of racket equipment manufacturers you when, when you look back at those years what were the key ingredients, do you think, to success in, in the world of sporting equipment?
1: Well, I think one of the, one of the things that I learned early on was um, as you make your way up the ladder, you see the same people that you see on your way down. And, and therefore, you've got to treat people the way you want to be treated. You've got to respect them. You have to understand them. And it, it's not just a one-off transaction. But it's, it's a life uh, that, you, that you have to lead. So much of my experience early on was in sales and in marketing. And I think that's where you, you learn that, you know, you have to be truthful. You have to be, you have to have integrity because, um, you know, what you tell people that they should purchase and where they, what they should do comes back if it doesn't work out. So, you know, it's just not a one time transaction, it, it continues. So, I think that the, the integrity piece and, and, and frankly, enjoying what I did. I mean, I was being paid to do something that I would volunteer for if I could have gotten the job. And it is difficult to get involved in, in any sports business, and tennis is the same way. So, I was just so lucky. I enjoyed getting up every morning and, and being able to go to work and work with people. And I learned so much uh, over those years from the people that I worked with. I mean, I was a, you know, twenty-four-year-old um, uh, regional sales manager, managing fifty-year-old men and women who uh, had forgotten what I hadn't learned yet, and I was their boss. So you know, you have to really understand and listen and and learn, uh, which is something that I've always always believed in. Brilliant,
0: and I love that it's just. Ollie, if you can work in something you're passionate about, it's not work, is it? You know, it's it's your passion. It's your mission. It's, oh, I love 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 that. I mean, do you know, I, I've got to ask you this one. I mean, I'm sponsored by Babolat. You know, I'm, I'm very much loyal to them. You worked at Prince. You worked at Slazinger Dunlop. You worked at Head. I know you're still a very keen tennis player, Dave. Whose rackets are you using nowadays? Or, or do you have one from each of the companies you work for?
1: So I'm, I'm loyal to the last company that I was with. I still have uh, friends there, the owner, uh, and, uh, and people that are still working there, even though I retired uh, about 10 years ago from, from that, uh, from, from Head. I still use the Head Racket, still use the same one. I've got about three of them uh, that I rotate around, but that's, uh, that's my racket of choice right now. I, I still have a fun place in my heart for Prince uh, and for Dunlop Lasinger, the experiences that I had there as well. Uh, and Dunlop Slider was fun as well because it got me exposed into other sports, you know, into into golf. So you, you know, you constantly want to learn in your career and not just become a, a one-trick pony. You want to get more experience. And at head, I was able to, I love to ski, downhill ski, and that gave me the opportunity there to, you know, ski with Bodie Miller and meet Lindsey Vaughn and and you know have a, a connection in another sport as well. But tennis is is the passion.
0: Dave, one thing that I do love as a little aside because, you know, we're on video so we can see each other, but people listening to the podcast won't be able to. But just to say, Dave has actually got his tennis racket with him, sat in the <laughs> office now. I think that shows the passion, Dave. I think it absolutely shows the passion. Now, come on. I mean, but again, the journey continues. So, you know, following your really successful corporate career, you ended up becoming chairman of the board, CEO, and president of the United States Tennis Association how did you involvement with the USTA start
1: well you know i guess it was in in the year 2000 right so i'd been working for for in tennis uh, for many many years and at that point in time i was approached by in my section in middle states where i had grown up i just moved back to that area from uh, from somewhere else when i'd been with um, with, with head and uh, I moved back to the area and the president of that um, middle state section by the name of Ann, Ann Humes called me and said, you know, we really would like to have somebody on the board, it's a volunteer board, but we want somebody from the tennis industry because we sometimes don't always have that, that connection. And that started my volunteering within tennis, which I did for was still do, <laughs> uh, you know, to, to this day, and um, you know, so that that really got me involved, and I was on the Middle States Board for for six years, and that brought me in contact with the National Board of the USTA, and um, so I I then be you know ran uh, and was elected in two thousand and seven to the USTA board, and and continued to progress and learn and and contribute back. Uh, and I retired in 2010 from my, my head role. And uh, at that point in time, I continued the the volunteer aspect and uh, was made president in, in 2013 and 14. And what a huge honor. It's, it's really scary being on that, uh, at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center on Arthur Ashe Stadium. And you look up and you're presenting the winner's check and there are 27,600 people there. You get a little nervous, uh, and what a great experience. Never in my wildest dreams would I have thought I'd have that, that opportunity. And, uh, you know, I, I learned so much at the USTA uh, over the years, and, and, and that led to uh, – I was on the board of the International Tennis Federation, and that led to to where I am today. So I'm just a very, very fortunate person.
0: Is there anything that, that you look back on from your time at the USTA – that really makes you smile at at what you and and the team achieved?
1: I mean, I think some of the highlights of things I'll I'll always remember is, uh, you know, working with a, a very, very talented board of directors, we made some difficult and challenging decisions. For years, we had been saying, it's not possible to put a roof on Arthur Ashe Stadium. Well, five years in a row, the finals took place on the monday because it rained on the saturday or the sunday and so you know when i became president you know the board we had great conversations we brought in some architects and the debate was well technology isn't advanced enough it's really hard to um, you know find ways to put a roof on the stadium and and so i said you know what i've learned in life is if you make a commitment then you make a decision, things happen. So the board made a decision that we're gonna put a roof on Arthur Ashe Stadium and we're gonna figure out the technology and what we need to do in order to make it happen. And with some really talented architects, uh, financing that we were able to, to get, we were able to put a roof on Arthur Ashe Stadium uh, you know, which is which is fantastic. And I'd say the, the second thing that, that we made a bold decision, because at this time when we're, you know, uh, it cost us about three hundred and fifty million dollars, we had to raise bonds and things to pay for it. We also made another decision, which was a strategic decision on the development of tennis in the United States, and that was to build the home of American tennis in uh, Lake Nona Florida in Orlando Florida and that facility opened up uh, the year after uh, I was president uh, and I was able to attend it as International Tennis Federation president and see the grand opening uh, you know which exists today and is a you know is the gathering place with uh, over 100 tennis courts a gathering place for tennis where recreational players uh, where juniors from ten and under uh, are are able to play, up to seniors of ninety and over that are able to play and use that every day.
0: I, l- I love it, and you know I keep keep coming back to it. But it's that that five year old self that that made a commitment to tennis when, when your dad asked, and and y- you made it happen, and and you've kept making things happen ever since. It was, I think, was it 2015 you became the president of the International Tennis Federation? In, in a similar vein to, to what we've just talked about. I mean, things that you that make you smile and at, at what's been achieved. Six years into the role, what's made you you proud of what the ITF has achieved?
1: Well, the, the ITF has has accomplished a lot because we have a, a terrific board of directors. We have a great staff that, that makes things happen. But some of our biggest accomplishments were uh, to really recreate our our um, our most important and iconic events. By that, I mean the Davis Cup and the Billie Jean King Cup. So the Davis Cup is a competition which, as you know, Great Britain won. Uh, Andy Murray and the team won a, a number of years ago. And uh, it's it's a fantastic competition. And we needed to recreate it to give it um, some new life that it needed and to really take that and uh, that concept and make all the nations understand it's the World Cup of Tennis. And then two years ago, we had the Federation Cup and, you know, people didn't know what it meant, you know, Fed Cup, Federation Cup, what is it? So we have the most iconic woman in sport, Billie Jean King right? So we renamed the competition, the Billie Jean King Cup, the first competition in women's sports that's named after a woman. And, you know, it's played in more than 120 countries around the world. And our ambition is to have the Billie Jean King Cup be uh, every bit as well known as the Davis Cup, which is played in more than 140 nations around the world. And so I think elevating those two competitions have been some of the greatest things that, that we've been able to do. And with that, you know, you make an omelet, you got you to gotta break a few eggs. And uh, we didn't always have fans with uh, the changes that we made. But I can tell you that it was very, very important because all the money that the ITF generates, 90% of it goes back into the development of tennis around the world. Uh, And and so it's really important, the more revenue that we have, that we distribute. And it's everything from, you know, building facilities in countries that are under-resourced and underdeveloped and and underserved. And, you know, we'll do that, putting brackets in in kids' hands. And uh, it's really, really important for for the game. So I think that that's really uh, why we do what we do every day. And, and the other piece is, I call it, you know, cradle to grave. The International Tennis Federation takes you from a young player, you're playing nationally, we give international opportunities, you make your way through, you play on the world tennis tour. If you're good enough, you become a professional and you play on the ATP and WTA tour. If you're like me, then you continue to play senior tennis and you try to play you know international national and international competition and you play up to age 95 and beyond I mean that's that's really what the ITF does and we run thousands of events every year around the world
0: Come on and I mean from those those big two events that you've mentioned it's going to be a really exciting November. Uh, for the ITF, isn't it, with both the Billie Jean King Cup Finals and the Davis Cup Finals taking place. I mean, behind the scenes, how challenging has it been to make these events happen in this COVID era?
1: Well, I'll tell you that uh, we, we want to forget, right, the last 18 months. I mean, it's been a challenging time for all of us, for everyone. And that's why you're right. I mean, we're, we internally are calling it a November to remember because we're going to have the two world champ, you know, the world cups of tennis, the world championships uh, of team competition, you know, within a couple of weeks of each other. And uh, it's it's very, very exciting because, um, you know, we have we've had to put on tennis events throughout the year, done it in a very safe way, in a COVID safe way. But now we're able to go to uh, to Prague for the Billie Jean King Cup and then to Innsbruck and Turin and uh, and Madrid for the Davis Cup finals. So it will be a November to remember.
0: Now, I mean, what I must ask you about, I read I read that you're really keen for the Hotman Cup, which is, uh, for those who don't know, a mixed team event to return and that it's likely to return in Europe rather than Australia. I just love how the Hopman Cup brings men and women together to play on a team as part of the same team. Are, are the ITF any closer to knowing where and when it may return? Yep.
1: Yeah, so uh, we are very, very excited about, about the Hopman Cup. And I mean, who can forget that iconic picture on the front page of most newspapers all around the world, and obviously on uh, websites and social media of Serena Williams and Roger Federer, the first time they had ever played mixed doubles against each other. They're taking a selfie and it's tweeted everywhere around the world. I mean, that's what in front of 20 plus thousand spectators watching a mixed doubles finals of of the team competition so it's really an iconic event that took place for many many years in Perth we're excited in 2023 can't say where but uh, your your information is good uh, about (laughs) Europe about it, it coming back what we wanted to do was just not clutter the calendar right now there's enough confusion and every tournament is working so hard to make sure that they can put that event on so we've decided that it won't be in 2022 even though we would love to have it we just think it's better for tennis to to come back to a little bit more normalcy and then we'll we'll add it in uh, in 2023
0: well we'll look forward to its return um, now with tennis from cradle to grave in mind we're excited in the uk about the launch of the itf world tennis number now, what's your world tennis number, Dave? Um, I'm wondering if we might be a good matchup.
1: Well, my my number in singles is 19, oh. and uh, so I understand you're a better player than I am. So that's <laughs> that's something I've been used to my whole life. So I, but I'm I'm gonna bring my racket out. I'm gonna find you, and I think we have to go <laughs> hit some, some balls. But I mean, the world tennis number is is so important for the growth of tennis. I mean, right now we've got 90 million players in round numbers and the ITF's ambition, our goal is uh, 30 by 30. In other words, 120 million players by 2030. And we believe that the world tennis number is something that can really connect all of us, recreational players around the world to be able to find somebody to play if we travel. But not only when we travel, why not play level-based play at home where you are? And so this will allow uh, men and women, young and old, to be able to play. I mean, growing up, when I was 14 years old, I was filling in in my father's men's doubles league. And that's how I learned to you know, serve and volley better. And it was something, I mean, I was playing 50-year-olds when I was 14. Isn't that the way it should be? Men and women, I mean, I played a lot of women when I was young, and women coaches as well, because they were better players than I was. And that's what the World Tennis Number will do.
0: The thing I'm really looking forward to is seeing the World Tennis Number bringing different generations together to play. Because, as you say, there's no reason why a 10-year-old coming through shouldn't play that 60, 65-year-old um, if they're at the same level, getting to know different generations the social skills that go with that. And uh, yeah, and I definitely hope that one of these days we get to have that matchup. (laughs) Now Dave, a question we've asked a lot of our guests, but I think it's particularly relevant to your good self. If you could see one initiative or innovation introduced into world tennis, what would it be and why?
1: Well, uh, there are a couple of things that come to mind. The, The first is mixed doubles is so important to the game. And I think that we sometimes don't understand that because it gives us a, a social aspect, but also a competitive aspect. And I think that sometimes, you know, we we kind of go on a progression of, well, you know, I want to play singles, Then if I can't play singles, if I'm a man, I want to play men's doubles or a woman wants to play women's doubles. And I guess as a last resort, if I have to, um, I'll play mixed doubles but it's only because I really want to play this weekend badly. And I'd almost invert that pyramid the other way and say, you know, the social aspects, men and women playing together. I mean, that's what I love about our our tournaments. We have tournaments together at the same time the men and women. It's exciting to watch. It's exciting to see and that mixed doubles component is is truly is truly great. That's one thing. But the other thing I would talk about is You know, looking at uh, innovative ways and some things that we're thinking about testing and looking at um, to make the game shorter to make it uh, a uh, something that is easier to watch. I mean, right now, if you want to watch a football game on the weekend, you know it's going to be two hours it's going to be 90 minutes. On the pitch, it's going to be 15 minutes um, in between the first and the second half. There's a little bit of extra added time, but you know you've got a window of when you can watch. Sometimes with tennis, that window can be short, that window can be long, but it, it's unpredictable. So if we could find some shortened ways that we could see some great play uh, in a in a reasonable amount of time, I think it would be exciting for people to play. And I think it would also be exciting for people to watch. So those are a couple of um, a couple of things that I think would would uh, help us uh, innovate a little bit. And they, you know, the mixed doubles isn't overly innovative, but it is if we get it done, because people don't think that way to, today. Well, both
0: sound sound good to me. Um, exciting times ahead. Now, finally, a question we've we've asked everybody, and that is if you could go for a drink with anybody alive or dead who would it be
1: and why okay so can i can i answer this uh twice can i can i can i answer it with a tennis player and a non-tennis player yeah go on dave all right well i have to lead with the tennis so the the person who i fortunately uh, did spend some time with in my early days of prince don budge yeah. Don Budge, is uh, who who won two career Grand Slams uh, and, and was the first player to do so, I was able to spend time with him doing clinics uh, when I was at Prince, he was one of our ambassadors. But I would love to have a drink and spend time with him again, because at that age, when I was 24, 25, I don't think I appreciated and would have known what to ask. And now as a little bit older man, I, I would really enjoy that. So that's my tennis connection. Brilliant. My non-tennis connection is Winston Churchill. Hey. And I, I read a book, which I encourage people to read, which is called Dinner with Churchill. And what I loved about it was how he used um, dinner, meals, and getting together as an act of diplomacy and advancing his schedule, his agenda, whatever that happened to be over the years. And I would just love to be in that environment at that time, having a drink with him and seeing how he would be working me on something. I don't know what it would be, um, but I, I just, it's a great book. It's an easy read. Um, and uh, so he would, be, he would be my non-tennis uh, drink.
0: It's that that relaxed environment, isn't it? You know, you sit around a boardroom table trying to come up with ideas. You're not going to come up with ideas necessarily around a boardroom table. You'll do it when you're out and about, when you're relaxed, when you're chatting, when you're alive, when the brain is flowing. And I guess that's what Churchill did. And I've not heard of this book and I'm going to read. I'm in the the market for a holiday book day. But, uh, (laughs) But so that's what he was doing was he was getting together with people in social environments, but with a sort of agenda of things he wanted to get done
1: yeah and, and you'll enjoy it because i mean even in the book it has uh, you know some of the uh, menus as an example here's the menu that he had when he was uh, you know on his boat uh, with uh, eisenhower and roosevelt and you know different you know different people uh, that he was entertaining uh, and it's uh, it's quite an interesting uh, read
0: fantastic well thank you this is one of the great things about the podcast it's it's learning about people's lives but it's also getting some fantastic things that you can go and explore yourself you know so thank you very much for the book recommendation thank you so much for sharing your tennis journey I think you know in terms of the chapters just from the beginning all the way through and the chapters that you've got coming up what adventures you've had Uh, long may they continue and just thank you so much for your time
1: well Rob thanks thanks very much and thank you for what you do because your enthusiasm for tennis is is what we need more of as well so thank you keep it up thank you so much